Good morning. Can I have my PowerPoint? I'm going to teach from 2 Corinthians chapter th- 3. And the verse that we're uh, concentrating on is where, in verse 17, that says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or some other versions say, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. All across the world, people are crying out for freedom. Uh, whether it's the Hong Kong situation or Barcelona or elsewhere, everybody is wanting freedom. But we often define freedom neg- negatively, and that is freedom from. Freedom from any form of restriction so that you can do whatever you want. Uh, here we have freedom of religion, we have freedom of uh, press that we are fighting for. Uh, reminds me of G.K. Chesterton that said, True freedom is not doing what you want, true freedom is doing what you ought. True freedom is not doing what you want, but true freedom is doing what you ought. We should talk less about human rights, but we should talk more about human obligations. And so today, we are going to look at this text and talk about Christian freedom. And and I want to paint the context to you before I come to chapter 3. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his ministry because he was severely under attack. And so when you're severely under attack, you will share things that you normally don't share. Is it not true? When you are severely under attack, and when people come and confront you and say that, you will say some things that you will say, well, you don't know actually why I do this thing. And so 2 Corinthians, in many sense, is one of Paul's most transparent books. You want to know the heart of Paul then 2 Corinthians is where you read because there he opened up his heart and let you see who he is. And in 2 Corinthians, he planted the church in, during his second mission journey. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. And after he left, there were some leaders that came into the church, infiltrated into the church and came up with things that distract them and try to lead them back to the old covenant. So what they are saying is, well, okay, you believe in Jesus, He's a new covenant and all that, but you know what? You still have to observe the old covenant laws and all that. And so Paul writes to refute that. Paul writes to correct that. And Paul was very strong in trying to make contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Judaism and Christianity, between Moses and Jesus Christ, between his time as a Pharisee and now as a believer in Christ who filled with the Holy Spirit, between the old way of getting true to God and new way that Christ has opened up for to come to God. So here, Paul is trying his best to pull his followers on his side and say, no, we are under the new covenant. Don't go back to the old covenant. If you want to read a book in the Bible that shows us very clearly between old covenant and new covenant, and that is in the book of Hebrews, uh, which Wednesday night our group is studying. Book of Hebrews talk about that. And book of Hebrews, they were under persecution, and when you're under persecution, you tend to return back to Judaism because they are persecuting you for becoming a Christian. And so Paul... uh, 
we don't know who was the author in the uh, book of Hebrews, we're trying to write to the audience and say, don't return back to old covenant because Jesus is more superior than a high priest. Jesus is more superior than Moses. Jesus is the priest that come under the order of Melchizedek and all that. Don't return back because the good one is here. Why do you want to return back? And so here in this passage, uh, Paul is doing just that. The new covenant is superior. The new covenant fulfills and replaces the old covenant. So don't go back under the old covenant. So what I'm going to do is I want to unpack this up for you. Uh, and I, w- I want to show you four points. And the four phrases that is my heading actually are, are all taken from this text in chapter 3. And you're going to see what new covenant is why Paul is arguing so strongly that we are moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from law to grace, from Moses to Christ, from the old way to the new way. And so I, I just wish that you will, you will pay attention to this because this is very essential. Many Christians still come under the Old Covenant. Many Christians, seemingly Christians, still live in some way under the Old Covenant without moving into the new covenant. I want to show you first and foremost, uh, the old covenant, a new covenant is moving from stones to hearts. It is moving from stones to hearts. I'll show you in verse 1 that says, again, you must see Paul is defending himself again. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some other people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You know, sometimes people apply for a job and they put me down as a referee so that I can uh, say some good words about them. To be honest with you, I only know them at church. I don't know how they are at work. I don't know how they are at home. And sometimes we live different lives when we are at church and at home and at work. And it's often been said that you want to know a person, you either live with a person or you work with a person. Uh, you often know a little bit more about that person. So people who put me down as a referee, you can... I try my best to be honest uh, in what I know, you know. So not necessarily I will say all the good things. And uh, so be careful when you put me down as your referee. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> I won't lie for you, okay? Uh, so Paul here, the, the, the teacher at that time, they almost need some kind of endorsement, some kind of recommend, uh, some kind of endorsement letter from so-and-so say of this person, how good, how good, and all that. So Paul is saying this, though he was under attack. He said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, Paul said, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You are my credential. My credential is not someone write a paper about me. My credential is you, he said. You yourself are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So as we move from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, 
the essential thing is that the law is going to be not written on the tablet of Ten Commandments that Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments written on it. He spent 40 days there. And probably on granite or something, you know. But here, the New Covenant, Paul is saying, no, no, no. The New Covenant, the law is going to be written on your hearts. No longer on the external law that you look at, but it's going to write and build into your heart. And so as I think of this, this thing of from moving from stones to hearts, few things came to mind. Christianity, religion is hard, but Christianity is soft. Granite stone is tough. Law tends to be harsh. But when Jesus came, He didn't write a book. He didn't chip His words into granite. Why didn't Jesus write a book? Why didn't He chip all that He's teaching into stones? Because Jesus wants to write it on the heart. And you need to be tender if you want to write on people's hearts. You have to be patient with them. All of us know that. If you want to influence someone, somebody's heart, you need to be tender. If you are too hard, you will drive the person away. And so when Jesus died, He left no tablets of stone, no book. He left 12 men, eventually only 11. And on their hearts, He had written the message. And He's still doing that today. And more books have been written about Jesus than anything. More songs have been composed about one person than any other in any event. And so here is moving. Religion is hard, but Christianity is soft. Jesus wants to write on the heart, not on the stone. And it will take a while. That's why Jesus spent three years with the disciples and not just 40 days on Mount Sinai chipping words, Ten Commandments on the law. And, and another thing that came to mind when we talk about new cover moving from stone to heart is there is a difference between holy things and holy people. In the Old Covenant, things are holy. Yeah? Things are holy. The two tablets of stone that Moses brought down were treated as holy forever afterwards. They were kept in a special chest in a holy place and nobody could go near them or touch them. So this is the religion of holy things in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, it is not holy things, but holy people. Nothing is holy here. Not this table, not this pulpit, nothing is holy here. But we have holy people. Old Testament religion or religion that is not Christianity, they often stress and emphasize on holy things. And that is why certain type of procession, there will be tons of people during the procession where they are stretched forth their hand, trying to reach out and touch the holy things. And when they touch the holy things, they feel great. Roman Catholicism and some other festivals, and we all know it's about holy things and holy clothes, holy furniture. But in the New Covenant, there is nothing holy other than holy people. In the New Covenant, we become holy people and whatever we touch, it becomes holy. So people used to think that they could be holy and healthy by touching some holy objects, but it is the other way around in the New Testament. Made people holy and everything else they touch becomes holy. Religion has changed from being holy things like tablets of stone, people gaze at in awe to becoming holy people who whatever they do, 
Whatever they touch with, there is a sanctifying power that involves. Holy people sanctifying everything they touch. And that's why in Christianity, you are holy people. You are holy people. When you go, wherever you are, whether you're at home, eat around on the table, the, the table becomes holy because you touch and you build into it and you influence. So that is the new covenant, not on stone, but moved to the heart. There's also a change from outward religion into inward reality. Jesus came to destroy outward religion. Did you realize that? And when you, look at, when you read through the gospel, who is Jesus harshest with? Is it the woman who is a prostitute? Is it someone who has committed sin in their life? Who is Jesus harshest with? Who? The Pharisees. And to me, it's inconceivable. If you are born in the first century religion, it's inconceivable that Jesus would be so harsh to the Pharisee, which is the elite in religion. They observe all the laws, incredible thing. With Pharisee, it was just all on the outside. They were religious, they were respectable, they were also clean on the outside, but what was on the inside, that is what Jesus cares about. I remember when I was in Pakistan, we have Muslims come to our house, we have an English school, we teach them, and then we build relationship, and we often invite people over for lunch and, and fellowship. And Muslim, one thing about Islam is, uh, Muslim is they love to talk about God. You can walk out and you can sit down, have a cup of tea, and you can talk God with them. And, uh, and they say to us, they say, why your Christian eat pork? They say, do you know how dirty pork is? You eat, you feel dirty. He say, your body, you feel dirty. And how can you pray when you eat pork? That is why we Muslims, we don't eat pork. It will make you feel dirty. And when we feel dirty, we can't go and pray. And therefore, they have to wash their hands clean and put on white clothes and wear their, their whatever you call a hat, turban or sonko or whatever, uh, just to be holy before God. In the Pharisee, Old Testament religion also does that. And oftentimes, we will turn to Matthew Gospel, talk about Jesus, says, you know, it is not what you eat that makes you dirty. It is what that comes out from your heart that makes you dirty. Jesus is in the business of giving new heart, transforming what is inside of us, not just only the external outward religion that Jesus is, is interested in. Therefore, he is always very harsh towards the Pharisee who is steeped into religiosity and become very self-righteous. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But here it is only to say that the old covenant and a new covenant. We are under the new covenant. When Jesus came, He ushered in. But, he, but during Paul's time, it was a transition time. It was a transition time. And nowadays, the, the world religion can also be divided into that too. People under the old covenant and the new covenant. And so the first thing we need to mention is that old covenant and new covenant, the new covenant is moving from stones heart. Jesus is interested in your heart. Jesus wants to write laws in your heart, not just only ascribe it on the external for you to obey. And the prophets prophesied about that too in Jeremiah, that God is going to write the laws into our hearts. So that's the first thing, moving from stones to heart. The new covenant is moving from stones to heart. The second point is moving from letter to to spirit. 
It is moving from the letter to the spirit. Letter is referring for, to laws, all right? It's moving from laws to the spirit. A new covenant is the covenant of the spirit and not under the law. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God, Paul says. Why I'm dispensing this ministry under the new covenant is because of God, not me. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Why? For the Spirit kills, but the Spirit gives life. Think of that phrase. For the letter kills, for the law kills. Law kills you because it exposed to you of your sinful nature. It exposed to you the inadequacy of keeping the law. Law is nothing wrong with the law. The difficulty, the problem is us, not the law. That is the issue. It's just like you can give me a, a recipe for this uh, Christmas to bake turkey. You can give me the best recipe, master chef or whatever. I can try you, I can transform that, that turkey into something that is not of the, what the recipe you want. But there's nothing wrong with the recipe. It has everything to do with me. So there's nothing wrong with the law. It has everything to do with me because I'm powerless. My sinful nature is powerless to keep up to what the law demands of me because of the weakness of my flesh. And so the letter kills you. The letter condemns you. The letter makes you feel bad, feel guilty because you never keep up to God's law. And therefore, you feel small. You withdraw. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you know that under the Pharisee, there is a, a, a group of people that are known as the scribes? The scribes are the ones that look at the Ten Commandments and say, okay, keep the Sabbath holy. How are we going to do that? And under the Sabbath, they have 39 points, what to do. And under the 39 points, there are sub-39 points, each of the one... Th each of the 39 points, there's another 39 points. Uh, how to keep the Sabbath. You cannot do this, you cannot do that. Uh, maybe there's a part that says you cannot wear your denture on Sabbath day because they'll be carrying a burden. Uh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. You, cannot. you can't read all these rules and laws. You can all read these rules in the Jewish Mishnah. And it became a burden. There were so many rules that you didn't know whether you could put a foot forward on the Sabbath. You do this, is wrong, do that, is wrong, what should I do? I don't do anything. Maybe I don't do anything, it's also wrong. So what should I do? So there are hundreds and hundreds of laws that regulate their life. And that is why Jesus was so great. He simplified all the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws created by the Pharisee into just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And beyond that, there is no other law because you are governed now by love. And when you are governed by love and your motive is love, every of your action will be motivated by that and that is always good. And as you know that the verse, who can quote Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Of course, it is true we can we can use it extrapolate into a- application about us being weary of certain things. We can go to Jesus. Jesus carries our burden. We can offload to Him. He guides us through and all that. But in that context, it's actually talking about laws. The Jewish people are carrying so much of the burden of the laws. Jesus said, "Come to me. Come to me." And the Spirit is going to live in you because the letter will kill, but the Spirit will give you life. Come to me if you are weary. You are always burdened of carrying all this law, wondering this, I've done this right, right, wrong, 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 100 thing, ticking boxes and all that. Put it aside. Come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Somebody wrote down some tragic flaws. If, you, if your life is characterized by just keeping the laws uh, there are, there are 10 flaws in it. Number one, new laws continually need to be invented for new situations. Right? You always have to new, invent new laws. When the law no longer applies to this situation, you come up with a new one. Accountability to God is replaced by accountability to man. And therefore, people who observe law, when the context is not there, when you're outside of the country, when no one is watching, you, 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 you don't keep those laws. And there are many overseas students are like that too. When they are overseas, nobody watching, the real person come out. Because they are not in the context. So the accountability to God is replaced by accountability to man. It reduces a person's ability to personally discern. You almost like need the external thing to guide you rather than relying on your discernment. Someone said the rules and laws belong to people who cannot depend on their instinct. No more discernment. I walk around, uh, uh, increasingly there's a law, isn't it? Oh, walk on this bridge, it's slippery when wet. I mean, I wonder why I, that they, they need to tell me it's slippery when wet. And uh, while, of course, I understand that, the counselor need to cover themselves and get someone fall and say, oh, they didn't tell me that it's wet. Or McDonald's, they buy someone's coffee, they put their hot coffee, you know. In case someone spill, burn themselves, they sue them, say, oh, you didn't tell me it's hot. Uh, so we, we, we kind of perpetuate that into a, a culture that, that had lacked discernment, lack of, of ability to know and, and need to be told all the time because of all this suing kind of culture. So it reduces a person's ability to personally discern. It creates a judgmental spirit. When you live by law, you always want to judge people. Wow, what the person is not doing that. Look at what I'm doing. I tick all these boxes, but why is the person don't come for prime meeting? Why? I'm holier, this and that. So it creates a judgmental spirit. The Pharisee confused personal preferences with divine law. Another aspect. It produces inconsistencies. Law cannot apply to every situation. And therefore, always they have to find ways to either rewrite the law or some kind of clause that that says, oh, under this circumstance, it doesn't apply. It created a false standard of righteousness because it's all only external. It became a burden to the Jewish people. It was strictly just external and it was certainly rejected by Christ. And so the, the, the letter, the law always kills, but the Spirit gives life. Henry Nouwen uh, wrote that it is very hard to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. If you are familiar with the, the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15, 
Anytime people are not experiencing authentic transformation, they will inevitably be drawn towards some kind of faith characterized by boundary markers. Yeah? If you don't experience transformation, you begin to naturally slant towards measure externally what you have done and bring some comfort to yourself, I'm doing the right thing. They will inevitably be drawn towards some kind of faith characterized by boundary markers. We will look for substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those on the outside. The boundary markers change from century to century, but they all reinforce a false sense of superiority fed by the intent to exclude others. And may I issue you a warning. I think every Christian if you're not experiencing transformation within your heart, you're not walking in the Spirit, there is a tendency for us to slide towards becoming more and more like a Pharisee. More and more emphasizing on the external. And then you become critical, you become judgmental. And then the next step is you become self-righteous. And self-righteousness is the number one sin condemned by Jesus in the Gospel. You read that. Jesus never condemned any kind of sin other than the sin of self-righteousness. Of course, there are other sins. I mean, uh, maybe I'm playing a word. I just want to emphasize that there are many sins that Jesus condemned. But I think the number one sin that he has towards Pharisees is self-righteousness. And we have to be careful of that. And unless you walk in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to constantly transform us from within, the tendency for us to redine to become relying on external boundary markers. And when we go down that pathway, we will be becoming more and more like the Pharisees and more and more critical, more and more judgmental, and then more and more self-righteous, which is something that Jesus condemned. So the law will always kill, but the Spirit gives life. So that is the new covenant. It's moving from the letter, moving from the law to the Spirit to Jesus. The third one, again, I, I think I, yeah. Third one is from death to life. The new covenant is moving from death to life because law kills you. Law causes you to die. You, you feel condemned. How many of us feel that? When you don't do something right, you feel condemned immediately. How many of us feel that feel that all the time? Even as Christians who is in a new covenant, often feel condemned, condemned, condemned. It doesn't seem to be a way out. And that is where the new covenant is moving from death to life. Now look at what Paul says here. Paul says, again, remember he's, he's arguing that new covenant is greater than old covenant. He said, if the ministry that brought death if the law that is given by God in the past that brought forth death, death in a sense, not nothing to do with the law, but our sinful nature are not able to keep. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So Paul is arguing from the lesser to the greater, how much more kind of things. You know? If the Old Testament under the law is glorious, that bring forth death and condemnation, how much greater will we under the new covenant, live under the Spirit, 
be even more glorious. Are you following me? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So the new covenant is a covenant of life, not of death. Even though the law brought forth death because it reveals our sinful nature not being able to keep the law. That's not I said it wrongly when I was giving this example. Imagine you drive to church on Thompson Road to the church every Sunday. I said Thompson Road was 70 zones, but actually someone corrected me and said 60. Imagine you were right driving uh, 60 imagine you drive at 70 uh, maybe 80 when you are late maybe I don't know. and you're on duty and you're coming down you speed and then the police stop you and pull you over they, they always ask the first question is there any reason why you're speeding <laughs> and then the issue is can, 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 can you imagine you arguing this way you know sir I've been in this church for 20 years. Every Sunday I come to church, I drive at 60. For hundreds and hundreds of Sundays, I drive to church, is 59. Only today. Do you think the traffic police will let you go? Or maybe you argue. You know, I, I'm a very good father. I provide for my children. Every year I pay my taxes. You know, I help out in, in the community, Rafi Lake, you know, Christmas time. I help out in the church. I do charity. I give money to World Vision. The police is not going to let you off, is it? So the point is when you break one law, you break all laws. When you break one law, you are guilty. Simple as that. A chain is only as, weak, as strong as its weakest link. You can have all the chain, but one chain is weak. The rest of the part of the chain, no matter how strong, it is pointless. It is useless. So law brings forth death because we are not perfect. Our weak flesh cannot keep up to God's high standard. So here Paul is saying, if the laws that brought forth condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that of which lasts? So here Paul is basically saying the new covenant glory means spiritual life, not death. The new covenant glory means righteousness, not condemnation. The new covenant glory is permanent. Is said that which will last. It is not temporarily. And so the false teachers in the, in the Corinthian church wanted the Corinthian believers to, to go back under the law, to mix two covenants. And Paul is saying, why go back to which is temporary and fading away? Live in the glory of the new covenant which is getting greater and greater and greater. The glory of the law is but the glory of past history, which the glory of the new covenant is the glory of present experience. The glory of the law was fading in Paul's day, and today that glory is only found in the records in the Bible. The nation of Israel don't even have a temple. They have no priesthood. 
if they did build a temple in the future, there would be no Sekinah glory dwelling in the Holy of Holies. Have you ever wondered why Israel has no temple, those who just came back from Israel? Have you ever wondered why Israel had no temple now? The first temple was built by uh, who is uh, the Solomon and was destroyed by the Babylonian. Second temple was built by King Herod and destroyed by the Romans. Why do you think they have no temple? Because they don't need temple. They don't need to offer sacrifice anymore. Jesus is the new covenant. Precisely because of that. Even the political situation, world situation, tells you that. That the way of the religion of the old covenant is past. That's why they have no temple. Because Jesus is the only sacrifice for God once and for all. That the Jewish people no longer need to offer sacrifice year in and year out to redeem their sin. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn open and then there will be an access for us to come to God because of Jesus Christ. Religion condemns you. Laws condemns you. It produces an agonizing torture of conscience in which you know what is right and odd, but when you fail to reach the standard, you feel condemned. Religion of law kills you because laws expose your sinfulness. And if you break just one law, you break all laws. Laws can't save you. Law is like a mirror. When you look at the mirror, you see that your, you, your face needs to fix up. But you can't use the mirror to do that. Mirror is only there to reveal to you. Law is there to reveal to you that you have failed. If there's no law, you wouldn't know that you failed. But because there is a law, and therefore you know you failed. But thank God, even though religion of law kills you, religion condemns, thank God Christianity begins with forgiveness. Christianity begins not by condemning, but by saying, not guilty. You're justified because of Jesus Christ. You're innocent. Go out of this court. Case is dismissed. Like the story in John chapter 8, Jesus wrote something and told the woman, go and sin no more. That is the moving from Old Covenant, death to life. I must have heard this story or read somewhere from Ravi Zacharias who shared this story about this American evangelist many years ago called Jim Baker. He started a ministry called PTL, Praise the Lord Ministry. He fell. He was probably one of the early church, kind of mega church movement at the early days. And he fell, he sinned, he left ministry, he was thrown into jail and all kinds of things. And he wrote a book. The book is the front of the cover, the book is his face, and underneath is the word I was wrong. I was wrong. And in it he says this. He said, God, are you there? The pain of not knowing where you are, and if you even exist, is more than I can bear. I feel like heavy weights are pulling my heart from my chest. My heart is aching. The loneliness is so loud, I cannot sleep. My friends have walked away, and now you have turned your back on me. 
All my sins I've ever committed are coming before me. Must I now pay for my sin? Did you not pay that at Calvary? Am I going to die in this cell? Do you hate me, God? Please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me. It is hell without you. Please don't leave me alone. If you are there, please do something to let me know you still love me. I'm scared in this place. And look at this phrase. I only live because I do not die. I only live because I do not lie. But God, please let me die. Because guilt, the, the condemnation, the, the, the sense that he has failed. And one day he was working in a prison. They have work to do. He was yanked out. Someone, prison officer, came to him and said, Come, there you have a visitor. Come on in. So he went to this place. And you know who visited him? Billy Graham. Billy Graham visited him. And this is what Jim Baker says. Jim says, I cry like a baby. Do you know what it feels like to be the most despised minister in this land and being embraced by the most admired minister in the land? And came to me, embraced me, hugged me, and said, Jim, I love you. You know how it feels like, he said. And that is exactly the new covenant. It begins with forgiveness. It doesn't begin with condemnation. It begins by Jesus saying, Go, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So the new covenant moved from death to life. Now you're alive. You've been forgiven. You are alive. You're alive. And then the last point from verse 12 to 18, before I close, is the old covenant moved from, the new covenant moved from veils to faces. Veils to faces. Paul used the experience of Moses and his veil. Remember the story in Exodus chapter 34? Moses went and see God and his face glow. His face glow. And uh, when he comes out, he talks to the Israelite, he put a veil over his face so that the people cannot see his veil over, um, cannot see his face. And Paul actually explained that because it is fading away, and uh, Moses doesn't want them to see that. In some sense, there is a profound prophecy in the sense because the age of the old covenant will fade away. And now without veil, we can come to God face to face in a sense. And here, and therefore, Paul uses the analogy of Moses' experience to bring forth a point. He said, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So Old Testament religion or any religion that's based on law, their veil is still covering over their hearts. When the Old Covenant is read, it has not been removed. 
Because only in Christ is it taken away. Only Jesus can remove that veil. Even to this day, when, a Mo when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's a from fearful to bold, from bound to free. And that is where verse 17, the verse that we concentrate, that we, is the text, is the sermon title of this text, uh, is now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So freedom, freedom to obey God, not freedom just from, freedom for. The true freedom now, that we are set free. Paul wrote this passage, but you must understand that I can uh, preach to you about this text. But when Paul preached this text, he is preaching from his life example, his life experience. You know, there's a difference where someone comes up and, and tells something um, based on books and studies, and there's some difference when the person says, I've been through this. And so when you read about Solomon, for example, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he has been through life. And he said, you know, all these things that you chase after actually is nothing. Actually, nothing. And sometimes we need to reach at the end of the life, then we recognize what is more important in life. And, and here Paul was the one who moved out from Old Covenant to New Covenant, moved out from Old Testament religion or Judaism, steeped into it, and then embraced Jesus because he experienced it. I want to read to you Philippians chapter 3 before I close, because this is his testimony. And so this exposition of 2 Corinthians in some sense, is, it, is, it is his own experience. It's not just saying things from study, you know, books, research and all that. It is his heart. He experienced that. He moved out from that. And Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 4 onwards, it, is, it was his testimony. And so I want to read to you, uh, so pay attention to this, of his struggle in his mind. And this is what he said. He said, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, meaning to say that by work that you are safe, okay? If anybody say, oh, keeping the law, you keep the Ten Commandments, obey the 613 laws, and down to the Lord of Sabbath, and all this, if anybody thinks that they have every confidence to place on their law, I'm telling you, Paul said, I have more than that. He said, I've been there. I can tell you that. He said, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Maybe he followed the Jewish tradition. I was of the people of Israel, from the God's chosen people. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. You know how the 12 tribe, Benjamin is the tribe, uh, who came from the tribe of Benjamin in the Old Testament? Tan soon you look at me, I don't have no... King Saul. Yeah? King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And maybe it's Apostle Paul, before that his name was Saul, uh, he was named after King Saul. He was from the same tribe of Benjamin. You know, some of us, we take pride when we say, oh, this great leader, uh, you know, came from this, this, this place, you know, because, oh, it's my, leave my neighborhood, you know, because it's from here and here. You know, we kind of take pride. It seems like we can get, score some points. I don't know why. Uh, uh, just that my Korean friend used to be very pri pri prideful and say, you know, uh, so many of the prime ministers in Korea came from my, my, my city, you know, Daegu, from Daegu. And then after that, he added, postscript, but they are really not so good prime minister. I shouldn't be proud of it. Uh, 
so here Paul was saying, well, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning to say I'm not a converted person. I speak the language of Hebrews. There are many Chinese who are born in Australia don't speak Chinese. So if Paul here, Paul said, I'm a Chinese of Chinese. You know, I speak the language, I'm classical and all that I know. So he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as for zeal, I was actually persecuting the church. I ordered the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 6. I was there. The blood was on my hand. I did all this thing because I was a new kid on the block. I wanted Christianity to stop because it's threatening the religion of Judaism. And, and then he said, as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless, not sinless, meaning to say that he probably do the right thing if he sinned, he offered sacrifice. And then verse 7, he said, so what? All these credentials that I have achieved, he said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Garbage, or I can, or they say rubbish, or cow dung. I consider all this rubbish, dung, compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus and be found in Him, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is not having, sorry, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he said, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to participate in His suffering. I want to become like Him in His death. And so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all these things, He said, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Not yet, I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind. I strain toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see that? Paul's testimony. Because it is his experience that moved from the old covenant to the new covenant. From Judaism to Christianity. From the age of the law to the age of grace. It is his own personal experience. Let me close with this. The Holy Spirit was given to us on the day of Pentecost, right? But do you know what is the day of Pentecost? Why, you read, why were there two and a half million people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? What for? What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the receiving of the Ten Commandments. It was when Jews gathered in Jerusalem to remember that God gave law written on stone. And on that very day, the fire fell and the Spirit was given. People were filled with the Holy Spirit and a new religion was born. And it was not a religion but a life. It was the life of Jesus. It's a replacement, new covenant and when the Holy Spirit begins to live in us, when we walk with the Lord, we begin to have freedom, and yet at the same time, 
by obeying God, living for Him, we actually observe everything the Old Testament says. But in a very way that filled with freedom and not the laws that condemn and kills and whatever, not done and all these things. So let me close with this. Okay. I have a question for you. Which one are you? Are you the rolling boat? Are you rolling your boat? Or are you on a sails boat? Sailing boat. Which one are you? Both are hard work. But you do so much faster and further when you sail. Why? Because the wind is blowing. In a rolling boat, it is all your effort. You won't make it to heaven that way. Because you're not rolling only for one day. You may be able to roll one day. You may even be able to roll two days. But what if I tell you you have to, you have to roll two million days? You can't do it on your own. You won't make it to heaven that way. But those who got their sails up and know the wind of the Spirit and this exuberance and this life that carries you along, you will have the thrill of knowing that it is the Spirit Himself taking you there. The Spirit is the Lord, and the Lord is the Spirit. This is how Jesus stepped right into your life today and becomes real by filling you with the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. So we are under the new covenant. Don't, don't return back to the old covenant of laws, but by the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We thank you for the experiences of Paul. It is his life, his story, his experience. He was steeped into the highest form of religion, Judaism, keeping the laws because he wants to live a good life, a good godly life. And the more he tried hard to live a good life on his own effort, he realized he can't. And so in some sense, C.S. Lewis is right. Only good people know that they are bad because they try hard to be good and they know that they can't and they know that they are bad. Only good people know that they are bad because they try hard to be good. Bad people will never know that they are bad because they have never tried to be good. But when you try to be good, you try very hard to live a good life virtuous life, not just only external, but our motives our internal thinking motives and all that, we realize that we fail tremendously and therefore the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus come and save us, redeem us forgives us it is incredibly attractive to any sound minded people who are in touch with their own very heart to know that they have failed. And the grace that Jesus offered is so attractive. Thank you. I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray that, Lord, they know that they no longer are condemned. They have been set free because of Jesus. As we sing this beautiful hymn, may you remind us once again that you love us. And that is the first step that we can slowly move away from the law, the old covenant into what you have 
given to us in the age of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love us, you care for us, and you want us to have abundant life. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Blessing this whole uh, Sunday school song. And be assured of His love for you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, the little ones to Him belong, they
Forgiven, justified, not guilty, not because of us, because of Jesus. And that alone should set us free from condemnation and walk in the Spirit for you. Thank you, Lord. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional love, unfailing love of God, and the empowering presence of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.